Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to have you joining us again. We were off last weekend enjoying family and uh, and resting a little bit. I want to encourage you, uh, for those of you who who would like to, like I've been telling you, there's uh, there's Instagram, uh, not Instagram, uh, what do you call it, iTunes, <laughs> that we do, uh, which have really deep and involved Bible study. It's good for if you're working out or just taking a walk and you just want to listen to the Word of God or or anything like that, so we'd encourage you to do that. You can find that uh, on World Harvest Ministries if you go to iTunes. Uh, and the podcast is World Harvest Ministries. So, we welcome you today, those of you who are joining us, and we're glad that you're with us, and I pray that today's message will bless you, and we're going to say a prayer for you and for all who will tune in later. Dear Lord, we bless your people, those that are gathered here this morning, those that are listening, those that need your strength, encouragement, your healing, and your blessing. We thank you the enemy is defeated, and may the Lord be glorified in his name we pray. Everybody said, amen. amen and amen. I'm going to begin by reading a, a few verses of scripture to you this morning out of the Gospel of St. John. So if you have your Bible, uh, open and please to the Gospel of St. John. And we're going to be discussing some events that happened on Resurrection Morning. We've been teaching on this over the last eight days in our podcasts. And uh, for more in-depth study, you can go there and, and, and check it out, like I said, on iTunes. But beginning in the 20th chapter, the Gospel of St. John, uh, I'm going to read this and then we'll talk a little bit. John chapter 20, verse 1. The first day of the week came Mary Magdalene early when it was still dark, unto the tomb. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb, or the sepulcher, as it says in the King James. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John the Apostle. And he said unto them, and she said unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple and they came to the sepulchre, to the tomb. So they ran both together and the other disciple did outrun Peter and, they, and he came to the sepulchre first. Stooping down and looking in, he saw the linen clothes that were lying there, but he wouldn't go inside. But then came Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulchre, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and a napkin, or really a, a, a piece of cloth that they had put up around the Lord's head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in the other disciple, John, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw, and he believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own house. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. I want to discuss a little bit today on something that I feel like the Spirit of the Lord gave me to give to you and for everyone to hear. If it doesn't apply to you right now, it sure will in the future if you live long enough. There's probably two titles I would give it. One is called from the first verse, from the fourth verse where it says, that the other disciple outran Peter. 
I would also call this message the battle of your mind, the battle of your heart. I want to discuss just for a few minutes, and we won't be too long today, but I pray it encourages you. When Jesus was crucified on Calvary, it was quite an extensive week that they had endured. They had followed him for three and a half years. Peter, John, the others, they left everything behind to follow him. They gave their life in a ministry of about three and a half years. And they came to Jerusalem the last week of the Lord's life before he was crucified and before he would rise from the dead. And they entered into Jerusalem with this incredible parade of people shouting and happy and joyous as after three and a half years of public ministry, Jesus had affected the nation in such a way that they were expecting this great conquering king, this great Messiah to... Uh, to overthrow the Roman government, to overthrow their power and institute in Israel her former glory. But it all ended so tragic in their minds. What should have been a glorious celebration really became a, the most tragic week probably in the history of the world. He would be rejected by the elders and the ruling religious class, the, the religious elite of Jerusalem would reject him. And it was during the Passover season, and, and those of you who are familiar with the Bible, you know about the famous phrase, the Last Supper. At the Last Supper, they would gather, and while they gathered, the, uh, Judas would leave the room where they were at, and he would go out into the night and take it as an occasion to betray the Lord. And while he was up there, the Lord revealed that one of them would, would betray him, hand him over to the chief priests and the rulers, and that he would be crucified. And they all began to argue amongst each other. They all began to, to wonder who it was that would betray him. And out of all the guys that were arguing, the apostles, Peter, out of all of them, stood up and told the Lord, no matter what everybody else does, Lord, I won't betray you. I won't fail you. And those of you who know the word know that what the Lord told him was the truth of the matter is, Peter, that before the night is over you'll deny that you even know me three times. Before the rooster crows in the morning, he told him, you will have denied that you even know me three times. Peter, when we read in the scriptures, responded to the Lord and said, <laughs> That's not true, Lord. That would never happen. He said, I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to lay down my life with you and for you. But the Lord ignored that, knowing what was going to happen. And he said, I've prayed for you. And when you've recovered, he said, strengthen your brothers. And so the night ended. The Lord would lead his apostles out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Those of you who are familiar with the word, it's there that the Lord would do battle with with dark forces that were seeking to keep him from obeying the Father and going to the cross. Into this tragic night, late in the night, the Bible tells us that Judas came with soldiers from the temple, from the Sanhedrin, from the chief priests and the high priests, and they came to arrest the Lord. And all heck broke loose in the garden as uh, as they came to arrest the Lord. And Peter... He drew out his sword 
and he tried to cut the head off of one of the guys that was trying to arrest the Lord. He missed and ended up cutting his ear off. And the Lord told Peter, you put away your sword. All that take up the sword will perish by the sword. And he bent down, picked up the man's ear, according to the scriptures, and he reattached it. He healed him. And they led Christ away. And as we begin to look into the story today, they take him away and they put him on trial. And, and this account reveals, really, as we get into it, so much about uh, the mental and, and, and the emotional state of all that would be involved in these next 72 hours approximately. They would kill the Lord on Calvary, just as he said. But during the night, indeed, Peter denied him three times denied that he even knew him and indeed the rooster crowed and right when that happened the Bible tells us Jesus was walking by as they were leading him away to Pontius Pilate <clears throat> and he looked Peter in the eye and the scripture says Peter remembered what the Lord had told him and he ran away and, and wept bitterly in utter failure in utter defeat What's always been interesting to me is both Judas and Peter, and really all of them, betrayed the Lord. But Judas went and hung himself from a tree. Peter, on the other hand, he didn't go that far because remember what the Lord had told him, I've prayed for you. And what most people don't understand in the pursuit of God or the things of God is there are outside forces that that seek to bring us into positions of despair, failure, isolation, trouble in the mind, whatever it may be. But really, what it is and the origin many of the times when, when the enemy comes against you is just that. It's, it's the spirit of darkness that seeks to take away our peace, take away our confession, take away our walk before the Lord. And so the three days would pass and... What the scripture tells us is that the, the apostles would gather in, in John's house. John had a house in Jerusalem. And that's where they were. And what I began reading this morning, it says that on the third day, the Lord indeed rose from the dead. And, and it's the greatest story ever told. When Mary Magdalene in verse 1 went to look for him, the Bible tells us that it was still dark. And when she came close to the tomb, she found that the stone had been rolled away. And in verse 2 it says she ran. She didn't even go in and look. She just turned around and ran and began to run towards the house where Simon, Peter, and John were. And she comes and she knocks on the door. She pounds on the door and they let her in. And she tells him, I've been to the tomb and his body isn't there. We don't know where they've taken him. Of course, she didn't know at the time that he had already risen from the dead. And he would appear to her in just a few hours from that moment. But... What's interesting to me is that it says that Simon Peter and, and John took off running from the house. And it was early in the morning. And, and, and it's interesting because if you read the Bible, and if you have your Bible, or you can look it up later in John chapter 20, when the Bible talks about uh, Peter, it calls him Simon Peter. And then in verse 4, it talks about Peter running with John to the tomb it drops his his name Simon and just simply calls him Peter and then when he goes into the tomb it calls him Simon Peter again 
Now why is this interesting and why is this something to pay attention to? Well, when Jesus met Peter, his name was Simon. It was who he was. I mean, that's the name he was given from birth. But when the Lord met him, he said, Your name is Simon, but I'm going to call you Peter. And we know that the word Peter means a rock or a stone, something sure, something strong. But when we see in verse 2 that Mary comes knocking on the door, the Bible says, His name is Simon Peter. And if we don't pay attention, that might just kind of pass us by. But what it does is it gives us an insight into his emotional and his mental state at the time when she comes knocking on the door on that third day. They spent three days going over and over and over in their mind what they had seen, the three and a half years they had spent with him. And then only to find that they had arrested him and crucified him. And, and everything was, was, was crazy in their minds. That's why the Bible points out that when she came to knock on the door, he was a divided soul. He wasn't just Peter. He was Simon Peter. And it speaks of conflict of soul. The duality that we sometimes go through in our own nature. And, and you know, today when I was thinking about what to share with you, you know, throughout the last couple of days, um, I've sensed that there's a struggle that's been taking place uh, in some of you that are listening and some of you that that will listen later and and there are those who need to hear what 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 the comfort of the scripture tells us and really it is what many in these times are going through so much is changing all around us in the world so much has already changed there's so much uncertainty so much fatigue there's so many emotional highs and lows and and maybe just personal circumstances but whatever it may be this struggle of the heart and the mind it can be a place of of trouble of isolation of personal and private aloneness and struggle that's what they were feeling and what the bible was revealing that when she came knocking on the door it's not peter who answers but it's Simon Peter. The struggle was in his mind and his heart. Over and over and over it was being replayed in his mind. He could probably see himself. He saw the Lord sitting at the table. He saw himself standing up and saying, If everybody else denies you, I won't deny you. But he utterly failed. And so those last three days, he was just completely dealing with that in his mind, in his heart. In other places of the scripture, it says that they spent those times in great sadness, in great weeping. And, and it doesn't always have to be failure, because I'll be honest with you, I've been sensing that there's an attack that's been taking place amongst the people of God in their minds. And if it's not happening to you, well, praise God, pray for someone that you know. But also remember that it will. It's inevitable. It's common to the human condition. But I draw strength from this story because... We see a process that happens. It says she comes knocking on the door and she says in verse 2, they've taken the Lord. They've taken his body and we don't know where they've taken him or where they laid him. And then verse 3 is very insightful because it says Peter rises up and he goes forth and the other disciple with him and they're both running together. What's interesting is how the Bible is, how the Holy Spirit is here. 
It starts out with Simon Peter, so in a way, what's what they called him a Simon Peter, it's introducing to us the struggle that he had been going through. But then Mary comes and bursts into this huge cloud of despair and failure and sadness and all the other emotions they were going through mentally and, and internally in their hearts. But when, she, when they hear that he's not in the tomb, verse 3 says Peter gets up with the other disciple and they start running. What's interesting is that it drops the first name in the scripture in order to let us know something. When he heard that the body was missing, maybe the, his thoughts went running back to how the Lord had told him in his ministry that on the third day he would rise again. And so we see the swing of emotion from being in conflict of just being the ordinary person, uh, Simon Peter, who is, who's kind of torn up inside. He takes off running toward the tomb and they call him Peter. And what does this represent to us really? It represents the hope that comes, the swing of emotion. The despair gives way to a hope as he runs to the empty tomb. Could it possibly be that he had risen from the dead? Everything that he had been dealing with, which is really interesting to me, because this is one of the keys that helps lift us out of despair, out of isolation, out of aloneness, out of trouble of the mind, whatever it may be. When his attention, after she knocked on the door, she arrives at the door, like I was saying, and the Bible calls him Simon Peter. When he decides to run to go look for Jesus, he's no longer called Simon Peter. He's addressed as Peter. You see, when we set our focus on Jesus, not on a dead Jesus or some religious figure that just happened to be kind of a nice guy. No, this is the resurrected Lord. And when that happens... When our eyes are fixed on Him, what we go through falls away. And as He ran, He was no longer Simon Peter, He was just Peter. Because His focus for those brief moments as He began to run was on Christ. That is the key to lifting us out of this despair. But you see, you say, well that's just too easy. I know I, I, I know I need God, or I know I need to focus on Jesus, but, well, that's what happened to Peter too. He started out in great hope. But what's interesting in verse 4 is, they ran together, but then it says, the other disciple outran Peter. And he came to the tomb first. So many people would say, well, that just means John was faster than Peter, and that's why he got there first. But no, let's dig a little bit deeper here. Because this is another thing that the enemy will try to do to you. He'll bring hope to you. And you'll feel the sense of something lifting or, or as you focus on the Lord. And we see that in Peter. But then as he runs to the tomb, it's really interesting. It says that John outran him. And what we see in this is another level of understanding of how the enemy would try to steal our joy, take away our peace, remove our, our soundness of mind and heart. The reason that John got to the tomb first, it wasn't because he was faster than Peter. It was because as they ran, and as his hope had been lifted that maybe it's true that Jesus had risen from the dead, and he, I want to go see him, I want to 
I want to hold him again. I want to hear his voice again. As he had set his mind on seeking Christ, his, his, he became who Christ wanted him to be. But in the run, we have both hope and then we have the despair of the past. The reason that he got there before Peter was because I think Peter began to slow down the closer that he got to the empty tomb. Because his mind began to be flooded with thoughts of what he had promised that he would never do. And then the reality of what he actually did. And it slowed him down. He began to give way to the thoughts that were outside the promise and the hope that Jesus gives to all of us in his, res in his resurrection and in the power of his resurrection. John got there before him. John was the only one who went all the way to the trial and John was the only one who was at the foot of the cross. So he doesn't carry that baggage with him. He doesn't carry the same level of emotional uh, distraught. He's just happy. And he believes, that's what we read earlier, when he goes into the tomb, it says he left the tomb believing. But why do I say Peter went through something? Because of verse 6. Because suddenly his name changes again. Instead of just being Peter, the Bible then starts to call him Simon Peter again. When Mary comes and knocks on the door, it says Simon Peter. He's going through stuff. When she tells him the tomb is empty, he changes from that huge cloud that was over his life all of that was banished in that moment of hearing that the Lord was alive and as long as he f he focused on running toward Jesus he was he was no longer that split personality so to speak but as he got closer to the tomb reality began to set in because that's how the enemy will attack you he takes your hope and then he wants you to focus not on Christ but on all kinds of other circumstances to steal the most precious thing that we have, which is the peace of mind and the joy of our heart. And so once he arrives there, he's Simon Peter again. And he goes into the tomb as someone that is emotionally troubled, isolated in his own thoughts, a private struggle. Have you ever felt that way? It looks like others around you are full of joy. But you, for a myriad of reasons, you feel alone and isolated. I remember I used to feel like that before I ever got saved to be, for a lot of times. I'd be in a big party somewhere, or in a club somewhere, dancing, drinking, having a good old time. But the truth is that the noise, the sound, the laughter, the big crowds, all that stuff. I was sometimes the most lonely person in the building as far as I knew. Because I knew in my heart that there had to be something more than this. Well, once I got saved, it's the same thing. Only what's different about life now is that I'm no longer relying on so many other things to fill the emptiness of my heart. See, once Peter and John and all the, the, the apostles had seen the Lord crucified, everything that they had ever hoped for was suddenly shattered right before them. But the hope of the resurrection and the truth of the gospel is, is that it's an enduring and eternal 
weight of glory, as the Bible says. It fills the emptiness of our heart. And like we just said, when he focused on running toward Jesus, that, that part of him left. But as he ran, the reality of life began to hit him. And when he took his focus off the Lord and began to look at himself, he lost it. It's not an easy thing. It takes effort. But the effort gives way to the miracle. In John's case, he left believing. Now what's interesting in Luke 24, it says, in Luke 24, 12, let me just read this. We're almost done. But let me read this to you. Luke 24, 12. John leaves. He goes back to his house. And he's happy. Peter, it says, though, he, he rises, he runs to the, to the tomb, looking inside, he sees the clothes laying by themselves, Luke 24, 12. But then it says, Peter departed, Simon Peter departed, wondering in himself at what had just happened. He didn't leave believing. He left confronted with himself. What did it all mean? And he goes along the road and, and just wanders the streets. I was thinking about that this morning. He spent that day uh, with a flood of emotions, wandering alone on the streets of Jerusalem, really, is where he was. The hills that surrounded Jerusalem. I wondered, as I was thinking about it today, I wondered how many places did he walk by that he had remembered he'd been with the Lord? How many moments that he had, private moments with him and, and wonderful times of joy that now had given way to such a confusion of emotions. He can't rein himself in. John goes believing, but he's dealing with, hey man, this is real life. I didn't see nobody. I had a hope for a moment, but he wasn't there. I wonder if he walked by all those places and, and the memories of the Lord flashing in his mind. His heart was broken. He felt hopeless. And even if it was true what happened, and even if he has risen, how could he ever forgive me? But you know what's really cool? And I don't think a lot of people know this, but it's in the Word. Just when he might have been broken in despair... The scripture reveals something really beautiful and it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Apostle Paul is the only one who really tells the story uh, of how it actually went. I'm going to read this to you. It says, Paul said this in writing to the church at Corinth. He said, Moreover, brothers, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. And then it says this, And He was seen of Peter. Then, after that, He was seen of the twelve. You know what this is saying? Is that when Peter was at the, at the most incredible part of his despair, John goes back to the house happy and believing. Mary has just had a vision of Jesus. She's happy and believing. Peter's wandering the streets, isolated, alone, in his, in his mind, in the struggle of his own heart. But what Paul revealed here 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5, is that he had a private visitation from the Lord. He was seen of Peter. You see, what happened there is that the Lord found Peter. He didn't leave him in that state of despair. And he won't leave you. Even when we can't find him, he comes to find us. I thank God for that. That he will find you. If you let him. He cares so much for you and me. He comes to a single broken heart. He loves you and me that much. When, when others can't relate, even, even good intentioned hugs seem to not lift the burden from our hearts and our lives and our minds. I thank God we don't serve a dead Savior. We serve a resurrected Lord. And He comes to us because He loves us that much. This single broken hearted people he loves you and me that much. So don't let your mind or your heart despair. He's there for you. He's there for me. And be assured, He's here today right where you are. He's as close, praise God, as the mention of His name. Whisper His name. Will you let Him appear to you? Will you let him visit you? Peter did. And it healed him. I want to close with this. Because I, I, I found it really cool. It says that in Psalm 18. King David. Speaking of the Lord Jesus. By the spirit. When David was rescued by the Lord. From, from his own private struggles. From his own wars. All the battles he faced. When he finally had all that lifted. He wrote something so cool. Psalm 18, I'm just going to read this to you, verse 27. In speaking of the Lord, he said, for, for you will save the afflicted people. You will bring down high looks. That, those high looks are like the thoughts that plague our minds or the brokenness of our heart. Everything that floods us, that takes away the peace. David said, I went through all this. I went through battles. I went through war. But he says of God, you save the afflicted people. Those that are hurting, those that are brokenhearted, those that are wondering, those that are just being challenged by everyday life. And then he says this, he says, For thou will light my candle. That's a cool thing. You know, it, it, sometimes we remember that old song, This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Well, what if you ain't got no match to light it? <laughs> sometimes we feel like that, man. We, I ain't got nothing to shine with. But he says, You'll come and you'll light my candle. He's the source. Remember when Peter ran to the tomb, he, they called him Peter. On the way, he slowed down and became that dual, struggled individual. But when Jesus appeared to him, he was no longer Simon Peter. He was Peter again. You'll light my candle. He's our source. And David said in verse 28, The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. This is King David. When, when, when darkness creeps in around us, when despair, when sadness, when failure, whatever the list may be, whatever the emotion that takes away our peace of mind and heart, understand that there's only one way and there's only one who can take that burden, clear away the clouds, break into our soul like a thousand sunrises. It's the Lord. 
And He's coming soon. But He's here right now. He's there with you. If you can believe it. David said, For by you, Lord, have I run through a troop, and by my God I have leaped over a wall. What is he saying? He's saying the transition from this heaviness. He says, When God shows up, when my focus was on Him, He became my light. He became my source. I ran through a troop. He's describing his battles. For us, what are the troops? I mean, it's not like we're out in Iraq fighting somewhere, right? You know, God bless the soldiers that are and the people that are there. But, you know, we're talking about what we go through spiritually here. David says, it is God that helps me run through the troop. What is the troop? It's, it's the soldiers of the spiritual darkness of this world that seeks to overwhelm us. He says, I ran through a troop. And then he says, by my God, I leaped over a wall. What's that? Some of the things that we go through, we can get through. But then sometimes it seems like there's a wall that's preventing us from, from having this breakthrough. Just when I have the hope, suddenly I have the despair again. But he says, it's God who will help me not tunnel through the wall, not blow up the wall, but literally scale the wall without even touching it. That's the spirit of God. That's our reliance. That's our source. That's our strength. As for God, David said, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in Him. So what's the key? It's the word. It's the word. It's the word of the Lord. Spend time in His word. Put other information inside of you. Sometimes we, we draw from so many multiple sources trying to calm the demons of our mind or the despair of our heart or the private struggles that nobody knows but you and God. But the key, David says, it, it's your word. This takes effort, yes. We've tried everything else. <laughs> Why not do this? I stand here this morning to testify to you that it works. That he's alive and that in his name all darkness must flee. Now listen, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He's a buckler to all those that trust in him. For who is God, David said, save the Lord? There is no other God. All other gods are pretenders to the throne. There's only one son of the living God. And the proof of his ultimate authority is on the third day he rose again. We don't serve a dead God. And like I've said all over the world, you can go to the Middle East and you'll find the tomb of Muhammad. You can go to, to, to Tibet and the Asian world and you'll find, you'll find Buddha cut in 12 pieces and shared throughout all the different temples of Buddha. But if you go to Jerusalem this morning, you can search high and low east, west, north, and south, and you will not find a tomb of Jesus Christ because He's not there. He's alive. He's risen. And that's who we serve. Who is God but the Lord? And He's coming again. And who is a rock? Save our God. He's that sure foundation that you can anchor yourself to. And then to conclude this morning, I just want to share this one scripture. It, the Apostle John, the one who got to the tomb first, he said of the Lord that He is the true light. John chapter nine, uh, chapter 1 verse 9 says, He is the true light. He's the light that lights every man that comes into the world. Like the light at the end of a tunnel. 
like the stars that dot the darkness in the sky, like the sun that rises and chases away the night every morning. So is the Lord Jesus Christ to all who call upon him, especially the lonely, especially the hurting, especially the confused, the brokenhearted. Call on him today and he will do like he did for Peter, like he did for King David, like he's done for every child of God throughout the ages, like he did for me. He will shine in that mind of yours, in that heart of yours, in that life of yours, and he will dispel the darkness if you simply call on his name. He's not here, Mary said. He's risen. He's not dead. He's alive. And he's ever present in the heart of anyone who calls upon him. So trust in him today. It's going to be all right. He is the light of the world. And he's coming again real soon. We love you. We bless you. And we pray you have a great week. Father, I pray for your people. I bless them. And all those that will tune in later and listen. That you would bring healing lift the burdens of the minds and the hearts and their families and bless everything they set their hand to do and answer them, O Lord, as you have promised when they call. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. See you next week.